and welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. My name is Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Antibacterial Hand Soap. My name is Justin, and my hands are so dry right now. They better be. Oh, my God. I have never washed my hands so many times in my life while not being on tour. Yeah, it's a... it's it's a thing, man. It's good that yeah. I have a basement here that we can hide away. We yeah. all know germs don't like basements. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. So uh, this is uh, th- th- just in case uh, you know you've been uh, living in a bunker somewhere or wh- whatever's going on, or you're on the set of like one of those reality shows where they hide you away from the world for a week, <laughs> like a few weeks or something. A lot of death metal fans. Yeah, that. yeah. We we do record our episodes um, and then uh, you know have like a backlog of episodes that come out a few weeks after they were recorded. And we're going to continue to bring you episodes probably like in the next two or three weeks that were recorded back in February and early March. But, um, you know, uh, for now, I guess we're going to be uh, on the ball with the current events uh, and acknowledge uh, the, the state of the world right now. So, Tom, on that note, how was your weekend? <laughs> it, usually I would lightly say, oh, it was sick, but uh, I don't want to say that term. Yeah, it's a word we should uh, we should we should start avoiding for a little bit. Yeah, just a little, a little bit of time. It. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's lockdown time, so I've been I've been busy. I, I'm working on a show that just got sold to Netflix, and I'm sweet. I got my hands full, so it's just work, and then you know you come home, and it's like ah, oh, panic, and it's 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 warranted. So it's exhausting. I'm just you know I'm a little tired. Streaming of entertainment seems to be like uh, in a boom right now. <laughs> this is not going anywhere. Yeah, it's a time to yeah, buy. For yeah. Sure. Oh, uh, boy. But uh, what about you, Will? Uh, all right, man. Getting through, man. Uh, I'm blessed, man. I'm very fortunate, man. Um, unfortunately, uh, within a week's time, they say, uh, Will plans, God laughs. That's the old saying, I believe. Um, <laughs> yeah, canceled uh, that, that py- those Pyrexia dates I was allegedly going to be doing are allegedly, well, they are canceled. <laughs> That's yeah. a wrap uh, with Pathology. Like They announced that cancellation today. Uh, artificial brain, um, not doing a tour that we were planning that hadn't been announced yet and will not be announced yet. What, what else was there? Let's see. There was a, was there something I couldn't talk about? Well, whatever it is, a lot of my plans got messed up. A couple of tours got canceled. Recording session got canceled. Uh, everything's screwy. And um, I say I'm a blessed man. I'm a fortunate man because really that's like the least of my troubles right now. Um, uh, you know, people obviously in a lot more dire situations than not being able to, to play and perform music, and a lot of people losing a lot of money um, right now in the touring, uh, and, you know, venues, the promoters, uh, you know, bands that do this for a living, so it's it's been kind of a, a stressful week, man, you know what I mean? And uh, I'm just trying to count my blessings and uh, stay positive and stay smart, man, that's the best I can tell you. Yeah, you know really I mean? feel it for some of those bands that got canceled stuff. Justin, Absolutely. how was your weekend? Yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah, <laughs> hunkering down like everybody else. Uh, I was saying, trying to, yeah, trying to be more the most productive with the time. You know, you picked the right time to start work, working from home, Justin. That's right, absolutely. And I actually, what you know, like silver lining on the gray cloud type of thing, man. That Pyrexia tour was canceled, but now I got like a good two weeks um, approved vacation off of work that was approved like back in January. So I got some time to spend spend with my family. You know, uh, stay stay put in the house. I'm gonna be working on some creative projects and trying to promote my stuff on social media. And, uh, you know, do the best we can like everybody else, man. So shout out to all the listeners, uh, past guests, friends of the of the program here. Uh, you know, we just hope everybody's uh, staying smart and staying positive, man. Do the best you can, you know? That's right. Uh, yeah. It's a very, very stressful time, you know? Yeah. Uh, a lot of, lot of uh, panic, a lot of information flying around could uh, clog your brain up. A little yes. too much information overload. And we here at the Heavy Hole, we're trying to just give a little bit of break from that. Absolutely. You know, my father stays glued to the news all day. 
Um, and that's a stressful thing to do, man. You know, you got to keep yourself informed, but you don't want to just dwell on that news cycle all day, all no. night, until you can't even sleep. You know, I said, Dad, want, you know, cut the news off tomorrow. We're going to watch Spaceballs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you man. know what I mean? Like, you watch a funny movie or something, man. I'm not saying stick your head in the ground like an ostrich. Um, but there's only so much in this information age that you can take in, man. That note, uh, Justin, you kind of segued me up here. You lined up the segue with a ramp. It, yep. So I got to, so I got to jump onto this. It was, uh, it's warm. It was a little chilly today, so I figured yeah. I'd warm that up for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Looking out for my immune system. Um, yeah, well, you know, like we said, man, there's plenty of media entities, uh, news programs, social media. There's, you can get news from so many places now that you got to like narrow it down. Who you're going to listen to? So heavy whole podcast. We're going to just try to continue providing you the best heavy metal adjacent content we can in this day and age for when you do need a break uh because these are stressful times and sometimes you're gonna need to take an hour and listen to us interview uh some boomer who made metal in 1992 all right we got a cool phone call coming in tonight that's right and he's not a boomer he's a young guy i set that up wrong for him yeah uh ryan lipinski guitarist vocalist most well known for his work in the band unearthly trance uh also force and fire thraldom serpentine path was formerly in the Long Island hardcore band Motive back in the 90s, which I was a big fan of. We're going to talk to him about all that and more tonight. Ryan Lipinski, Long Island musician. Let's get him on the horn. Hey, what's up, man? <laughs> How you doing, bro? Doing all right. How you doing? All right, man. Uh, and let me introduce you to um, my uh, co-host. Uh, this is Justin. Hey, bud. What's up, man? Not too much, man. Good to meet you. And, nice to uh, meet you. And Tom over there. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for joining us, man. You got it. Thanks, man. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for your time, Ryan. Um, no problem. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we got a lot of questions, and you've been involved in a lot of music. Uh, so if you're ready, man, we'll just go into it. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome, man. Um, now, Ryan, I know you're originally uh, from Long Island, right? Yep, from uh, Mastic. Mastic, oh, all the way out east there. Oh yeah. Now, <laughs> uh, are you from? Are you? Is there music in your family? Um, not really. I think, like when I was younger, my brother was a little bit into music, but it's mainly kind of my on my own. I discovered it. So, how do you start playing guitar, and how old are you? Uh, I got my first guitar when I was 11, and got it for Christmas, like a JCPenney, like, you know, crappy guitar, Strat kind of guitar, and then I got a real guitar when I was 13, a BC Rich Warlock, and that's when I started playing for real. I took lessons and stuff. Dude, it's, it's like a passage to manhood when you get your first pointy guitar. <laughs> yeah. I remember it very well. It was like this place, Medford Music, I think, or something. And it was like 300 bucks. And my mom got me, like, took out the last dollar in a wallet to pay for it. And I was like so psyched. It was like the best, best guitar ever to me back then. Yeah. So I wish I had one now. <laughs> <laughs> me too, man. So what were you listening to when you were 11 and you wanted to play guitar? Like, what got you thinking, Shit. I have to play guitar? So let's see, that would be around 1988, 
because I was born in 77, so, you know, docking and Guns N' Roses and stuff like that. Like, rat. I was into not so much Rat. Uh, I did like Rat a little bit. Okay. But I was a big docking fan. All right, all right. <laughs> first, first tape I ever bought was docking. That's right, Rat Grows on you. Know? <laughs> no, I like yeah. Rat. I like uh, the early, early Rat records. And, um, I mean, you said Mastic, talked about yeah. Medford. Um, can you talk a little bit about growing up in that area and what that was like in the 80s? Well, when I was really young, it was awesome because, like, I'd go down my block and there'd be, like, metalheads hanging out in a corner, like, with their boom boxes, like, with back patches on. Like, that was my reality as a kid. So I think that influenced me a lot. There was, a, like, a dude who was across the street, he played guitar, cranked his amp up. So I, there was a lot of metalheads everywhere. And so Suffolk County was cool with metal back then. And it definitely knew people in bands, older guys. So it definitely inspired me to want to play music. But then as time went on, I mean, Suffolk County in itself is a pretty weird place. And Mastic in particular is like one of the don't go there, you know, like don't go to Mastic or Shirley. There's nothing good there. And yeah, like, just yeah for the for the listeners, um, the Mastic Shirley has come up. Ma- there's Mastic and Shirley. It's yeah. kind of like two towns very close together, or two areas what? very close. Train together. stop. Yeah, people just say Mastic Shirley, and um, yeah, it's just one of those areas that has gotten uh, sort of a reputation on Long Island, whether deservedly or not. Um, but it, you know that's kind of why it comes up in conversation and is used as yeah. a little bit of a punchline, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, re- affectionately on Long Island. You are not going to believe the amount of Jeep TJs out there for sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it yeah, makes mas- sense. Mas- it's just sketchy. That's what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, moving forward, I mean, a few years after you get your guitar. Um, uh, well, maybe a few years, but I know Motive uh, is is um, like your first band that really plays shows and records yeah. and stuff. Is that correct? Um, pretty much real a real band. Before that, um, me and the singer of Motive were in a band called Crooked Stick, <laughs> and that actually had Darren Verney, who was a drummer of Unearthly Trance, when he was like a little kid, and his older brother Todd Verney. So it was it was more of like a like a metal band, a little bit sludgy. Like, And then when we kind of discovered the Long Island hardcore scene, me and Atif in 95, I'd say, we like put together Motive when we, when we found a drummer. And that's when we started doing that for real. Because it was like a scene and it was, you know, shows we could play. And, you know, all of a sudden, as soon as we got going, it just took off Motive. So that was our first real band I ever did. Yeah, um, and like you know, you mentioned like uh, Long Island hardcore um, in the the mid, probably mid '90s, and then through the late '90s, uh, it, it became mm-hmm. huge on Long Island and kind of yeah. e- eclipsed what the metal scene was in the '80s on Long Island in a way. Um, and it became yeah. more about like the VFW halls and the kind of DIY hardcore shows and stuff. I mean, you were in we, and also we just recently had um, Dave Case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Christian McKnight, who were both in Cleanser on separate yeah, episodes, yeah. and they talked a little bit about the PWAC and the 90s oh, yeah. uh, Long Island hardcore scene. Can you just tell us a little bit about um, getting started in Motive and what the scene was like and kind of getting your feet wet in the Long Island yeah. hardcore scene in 95? Well, I think the one person I would give credit to uh, kind of getting me hip to some of those bands, because it was like underground, you either knew or you didn't. There was, like, was you know, no internet, no way to discover that stuff. It was just like, if you met someone and knew it, they'd tell you about it, and like, oh shit. So Dave Allen 
from Mastic. He was the basis of Tripface, and he also played in Glassjaw years later for a little bit. But he was the one who got us into like, you know, check out these bands like, you know, VOD Neglect and you know, Silent Majority and a couple of a couple other bands. So we would go check out some shows at I think the Right Track Inn. That's probably one. <laughs> So we take the train from Mastic all the way out to Freeport to go to the right track in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely saw some early shows there. And then me and Atif, Atif Khalil, the singer of Motive, he, um, we met this guy, Pete McCoyle, and we started Motive with him because he was an awesome drummer and he like knew everybody in the scene already. So he, we, had, we had like a, an in to the, to the people that actually were running and running shows and playing in bands. Pete Motive, right? Yeah, yeah, Pete Motive. Yeah, that's, that's what he would end up uh, being known as. Like, I think to this day, even still, you can on social yeah. media and stuff, he's Pete Motive. Oh, yeah, I see it. <laughs> he, you know, he was great because he was super energetic and he was like, well, yeah, let's jam. And he had a friend that had a basement. We did our first jam in and like, we recorded a demo a couple of months later. And I don't know, it just like it, everything went really fast with Motive. And we even like progressed really fast musically, too. So it was like a wild ride. Yeah, um, and I know you guys put out the uh, you, well. You had well, the first seven inch was what un- underneath the principle is terrain. Yeah, well that that's funny you mentioned that. That was put out on some label, bittersweet I think. And yeah. Pressed a thousand, but something happened and only a hundred made it out. Like wow. we think we got our band copies and the rest never made it out and the label folded and i think the records the rest got destroyed so oh. if anyone has that first seven it's super rare uh flex wow. i have it i got it guys. And, <laughs> and that was with our first singer al carter who yeah. died unfortunately a couple of years later oh okay all right yeah um, he was he was our first singer and you know he was a cool guy but we never really loved his vocals it was like great guy but how do we get rid of him? And so eventually Atif took over for vocals and then he got into like the whole, I don't know, DJ rave scene and got into drugs. It was a pretty shitty scenario that happened to that guy. Like he left hardcore and then a few years later we're like, oh, damn. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you're you're describing you had a hard conversation with him. You're like, hey, you know, you like him, but you got to kick him out. It's like, yeah, I think that was one of the few times I've ever even kicked someone out of a band, honestly. And yeah, he he did something else that was like drama with a friend. So we kind of like piggybacked on him, like, yeah, I think it might be best if uh, <laughs> you're not the singer anymore. And yeah. I don't really remember how we told him, but I knew that he's we did not like his vocal. Like he was all right, and then once he got into the studio and did the demo, and we were like, oh, that's what his voice sounds like. Because, you know, hardcore is a hard thing to do vocals and make it sound good. And we wanted someone that screamed, and he was more of like a shouty kind of guy. Well, you guys were young. It was still oh, yeah. a fairly young style. It was, it was like an ex- experiment yeah. all around that band. We were like, let's do this. Okay. Like, didn't ever second guess anything we did. Well, that's, that's the thing. The band was very ahead of its time. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, like, you would have later on uh, in the decade. Well, I mean, those, not that these bands weren't around, but these bands rose to prominence. Uh, bands like Converge. Um, well, I must say, I was into Converge way back in the day, and okay. they were they were an influence on Motive for sure. Okay, oh, so I'm wrong. <laughs> I was I was listening to them, but well, I'm just making the point that you guys were around doing your thing before that style yeah. um, really Explode. gained a lot of popularity in the late '90s and early 2000s. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And, and you saw tons of bands um, doing it. And I, uh, you know, you guys next you put out the uh, Doctrine of Scripted Torture seven inch, I believe. Um, right. fo- followed by I versus the Beckoning of Darkness, the full length well, album. That, uh, the seven inch. Before you go into that, that seven inch, most people regard as like our best thing. And yeah, that was like when we were at our craziest, like just going insane at live shows. And I think it's a pretty cool record on its own. And then after that, we wanted to get, we really wanted to become more metal. Like that was our, and so it was like our version of what metal was in a hardcore band, the, the full length that we did. And it was kind of like weird because nobody was really excited when they heard it at the record label. They were like, oh, but there's guitar solos on it. And I was like, yeah, that's cool, uh, right? And they were not happy about it. Again, just a few years later, that would be, you know, it's like you were just kind of like a little bit ahead of your time with that. And I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad you stopped me, too, because that A Doctrine of Scripted Torture 7-inch is my personal favorite, and there's yeah. a special energy uh, yeah. on that record. Um, absolutely. And it, it does have, like, you can you can picture the live show when you listen mm-hmm. to that record. It has such, like, a frantic live energy to I mean, that, it. That's what I think of when I hear it back. I'm like, oh, we were crazy back then. Yeah, <laughs> Not that we were like, crazy at there's that live shot on the back of like of yeah. you know it's obviously captured in the middle of some crazy breakdown or something where everybody's jumping around and falling yeah. on the floor and yeah it's a Staten Island the joint it's a place called the joint they used to have shows in Staten Island that was awesome and all the Long Island bands would like play there because it was even cooler than Long Island in a way because it was like this little little building in the middle of the ghetto in Staten Island and it was awesome. What about uh, some other places? Did you did you play the PWAC? Oh yeah, um, Motive played there a couple of times for sure. Like there was like the 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 compilation record release show. We definitely played. We played with a bunch of bands. We played there at Warzone. We played there. We played with a lot of bands there, and there was a few shows that got canceled that we were supposed to play that never happened. We were supposed to play with Staffcase and all these. They were supposed to play these big shows, and then the PWAC got shut down. It was like shitty. Snapcase. And then they did it. Yeah. That, that's another band that not that they necessarily sounded like Motive, but I could I could see like Snapcase and Motive kind of on that more progressive end of '90s hardcore. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I was. I liked some of that stuff. Like, I wasn't really into hardcore for a long period of time. Like, I was always a metalhead, and then yeah. I just got into hardcore because I was like, "This is sick." You know, we got it. We heard VOD. We're like, "Who are these guys?" You know. And then I heard bands like 108 and some like more obscure bands like this band Threadbare. Like there was bands. Threadbare. Blood- oh, bro! No, you did. You didn't say Threadbare. I got that. Sure. I got their three song uh, CD demo. At, yeah, a, at a YMCA uh, show here in Huntington when I didn't know what anything yep. was. I don't even know why I bought it. I was just a kid looking at stuff, man. Wow. I used to, you... go, to, sh- I used to go to shows at the YMCA all the time. Yeah, I was probably at one of them, dude. That's crazy That's here in Huntington. Yeah, man. And they, I used to buy I used to buy rando merch sometimes just because I like the album cover or something. Man. I did, too. That Threadbare CD I... is one of them, bro. That's crazy, man. Just certain bands that like I just you know had the 7-inch of and it like influenced us mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i forgot where we, where we were uh we were just talking about that old school 90s long island hardcore scene the PWAC yeah, I mean, it was, stuff. the thing i take away from it the most is that we used to play shows to like hundreds of people like all the time and i'm like wow i look back on that and like that's a lot harder to pull off these days being in an underground band like always having consistent like awesome shows and back then we were like oh this is cool like we didn't think anything of it <laughs> And and in the '90s, Long Island hardcore was such a thing. I mean, you know, you, 
Oh yeah. There was shows all the time. There was always uh, bands. There was. Um, yeah. It's kind of like comparable to how like the the old school death metal thing is now. It's just everywhere. Right. Kids are into it. The and the thing, one of the most important part I would have to mention is that we were like part of like a straight edge scene in um, Long Island because I used to be straight edge, and then me and the singer Atif stopped being straight edge. What happened? And people hated us after that. So we and we decided to get more metal because we were like we basically turned heel, you know, like a wrestling. <laughs> wow. We were like, not we're bad guys. Fuck you. And people hear like us. other riffs now. We used to we used <laughs> to bring beer on stage like where places you couldn't even like we would we would just be assholes. We would like rip bongs on my van and then go on stage like play like barely able to play, but <laughs> we would just we just got to the point where we were just like a fuck you band and then. Next thing you know, there was only 30 people at our shows, and we started writing really complex, like death metal influence stuff, and then we broke up. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that because I was just revisiting that I vs. the Beckoning of Darkness album today, mm-hmm. and, you know, I jammed it a lot when it was out, when I was a teenager, and through the years, I've checked it out a few times. Um, but listening to it today, I I got so much more metal out of it than I than I you know was used to hearing in it. Um, I guess you know my yeah. my perception has changed over the years, and I hear different parts of the songwriting now. And um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, like it, you kind of already answered the question because I was going to ask you: Was there a decision to take a more turn for the metal on that I vs. the Beckoning of Darkness CD? Yeah. Around that time period, I discovered like black metal bands and stuff. So a lot of that stuff was super influential on me, and it changed the way I thought about kind of extreme music. Like I wanted to add a lot of that more metal into my my playing because I was also really into being like a good guitar player. I don't know how else to say it, but like I took pride in it. Like I wanted yeah. to make our shit sicker, you know? Like yeah, I mean, that's I also, not exactly a focus on hardcore music. It's, so yeah, we. We were like, as soon as we got the chance to kind of like put out a record, we were like, let's really do our own thing. Like, you know, let's try to make something interesting. And I think at that point, I was just really focused and just took it, took it to a cool. And I listen back to it now, it sounds like weird and alien and kind of strange. And I like it. And like, if I talk to the singer Atif about it now, he's like, oh, I hate that album. It sounds so weird. It's like, that's why I like it. It's like so odd. Yeah, for the to, time. Even, I mean,. Yeah, mostly it was like chugga chugga hardcore or like, you know, some emo stuff or some tough guy hardcore. But we were like, hey, we're weird. (laughs) People liked it. People did it. Another thing I got out of it today, um, listening to it, you know, in this day and age with with, um, like, you know, what's going on in metal since. It was also visionary in a way where... I think what what you might call dissonant metal uh, went, yeah. you know, like like maybe like gore mm-hmm. guts and bands influenced by gore guts, and it has this kind of psychedelic dissonant vibe to it that was very uncommon when it came out. Yeah, I mean, the dissonant thing, I was just get, I was really getting into like like playing. My whole thing was I wanted to come up with parts that no one could play. Like it was like huh. it was like I was trying to outdo. I think I was trying to be like the best or whatever you know that was my mindset back then i don't think like that now but back then i was young and i was like i'm gonna kill this and then the psychedelic stuff was this guy davide who his studio that we recorded the album at he had all these guitar pedals and i was like a little into pedals but he's showing me different pedals and i was like oh i'm gonna try that so that's where like my love of guitar pedals developed on that album and so we threw in like phasers and delays and like 
stuff I never used before, just on the record, like like used them for the first time ever on the record. So it was a bit of experimenting going on too. Yeah. And again, um, most hardcore bands weren't doing that back then either. Yeah, exactly, man. Like just just something you know, like a, a, a few years ahead of its um, time. And that was that album came out in '98. Uh, when does yeah. Motive break up in in relation to that album coming out? Uh, we recorded one more demo after that that okay. basically became an EP, and I'd say right after that we broke up. But '99 we were done. Okay, and a lot of this Motive stuff has been posted on YouTube. Is there any? Um, maybe I missed it. Is there a Bandcamp, or has there been any discography, no. or is there any? I mean, plans? maybe maybe Wreckage uh, has a Bandcamp. I haven't checked. Mm-hmm. I've had people twice line up to put out a discography like double LP with me and then flake on me twice over the years mm. but we're kind of a band that's just so obscure it's like we did we did a reunion show in 2006 and that was great but I don't think I would ever do it again because no one would even know who we were you know like and I, I appreciate that we're kind of lost in time where like you had to be there to know who we were so to me it's cool well ho- hopefully after this podcast uh that's not going to be the case <laughs> but pull up your spot I, yeah, i'm gonna blow up your spot know, big I'm, time i'm i'm proud of motive and yeah. i don't really talk about it because it's so long ago to me and yeah. like we were together like four years and four years flies by like nothing now you know yeah yeah that that's something too that's crazy how you can make some sort of an impact or make a creative project with some people and 15, 20 years down the line, you don't even really deal with those people as much anymore, for better or for worse. No. And that, that I don't even know the, where the bassist went. Yeah, that. yeah. Oh, so you're one of those guys with a lost bassist, too. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah I, also we feel never, the same. Well, basically, I'll tell you the short story. We went on tour, and he was straight edge, and we definitely were not. <laughs> and by the, by the end of that tour, he was like, I'm quitting the band. I, don't, I can't stand you guys. Like, he hated us. And we dropped him off at his house. And we are like, all right, you're out of the band. See you later. Never saw him again. <laughs> oh <my God>. Wow. <laughs> Relax, guy. Have a beer. <laughs> can, maybe can he you was, talk he a was very. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. He was he was so uptight. So we were and we were like, you know, we were crazy. We were like smoking weed and like shooting fireworks off. Like, you know, we were just crazy. Once we got into breaking our straight edge, we just went full off the off the deep end. So maybe on that on that note, could you talk a little bit about how serious Straight Edge was in the in the mid to late '90s in the hardcore scene? It was pretty militant. Like, I remember, like, if you showed up to the PWAC and you were smoking a cigarette, you'd probably get some dirty looks, or you know, like, there was people that drank, but they drank in the back parking lot. But when you got into the PWAC, it was like no drinking, no nothing, and that's kind of weird to think about now. Like, you know. 300 400 kids hanging out but no one's doing anything you know and that's unheard of now like straight edge is kind of like a gimmick now back then it was it was serious you know like assholes like picking fights and shit like that but i never really cared about that i was just i was one of those kids growing up like i'm never gonna drink i'm never gonna do anything (laughs) like i was so from that age till 21 like i never did anything so i think it kind of helped me that didn't didn't get so fucked up when I was a teenager and I waited till I was actually 21 before I had my first beer ever, you know, so I look back on the time period as good for me, but when I think of straight edge in general, the 90s hardcore scene, it was pretty 
it was pretty ridiculous because once we broke edge, people hate, like my friends, like turned on me, you know, and I was like, oh. wait, these people aren't actually my friends. Like, so we got pretty paranoid because well, people that were once like our best buddies and like biggest supporters were like, I mean, people were calling up my house telling me they wanted to fight me because I broke edge. And wow. I knew, I knew who this one guy was who called me. I'm not going to say who it was. And I told him, like, yeah, when I see you, I'm going to punch you in your face. And I saw him at a show once, and I punched him because he was pranking my house because I sold out. That's how serious it was. Like, people had a problem with me. Dang. Wow. Like a gang, really. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's what I'm getting at because I don't know if people realize, um, you know, the, like, Earth Crisis uh, kind of came out, yeah. Victory Records, that got huge. Yeah. And it totally. kind of, it was almost like a legitimate gang thing in certain instances, not to paint the whole straight edge community with a wide brush, but in some instances yeah. it was like that. There was, there were scenes that were positive and there were scenes that were militant yeah. and there were yeah. scenes that were like, you know, PC, like ahead of the time, super PC, everything. And I kind of liked a bit of it all, but I, as far as Moda went, we weren't like, we didn't really give a shit. We were just, I think I was more into the animal rights vegetarian vegan thing back then and i'm still a vegetarian since then so yeah. like i credit my involvement with shit back then to the fact that i'm still like i haven't eaten meat since since then you know so it had a good impact on me but those two scenes over the years i think like animal rights got serious and straight edge kind of became like a fashion or a trend or something and then it fizzled out and now it's like I couldn't imagine seeing someone with the X's on their hands these days, but maybe they still do it, you know? It's it's a lot of principles to adopt, because it's, like, it's not mm -hmm. just one thing. Um, you know, Especially it, back then, it was it was serious. Yeah. But now it's more of a just like, you just do what you want, you know, on all sides of everything, and there isn't that, to, uh, that gang mentality about it right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now I see, like, I know some older guys that are still straight edge, I'm like, that's amazing, like, good for you, you know, you never did a thing yeah. in your life. That's that takes some serious willpower that I definitely lacked over the years. <laughs> yeah, I, I know some great straight edge people who don't pass judgment on anybody for what they do. Yes. Uh, and like I said, not to paint the whole straight edge community with a wide brush, but there was a big facet of it towards the late 90s. Um, and even I'm <clears> sure still today in certain areas that took it to an extreme. Um, yeah, definitely. but having said that, like, I think Earth Crisis, like their early shit is fantastic like i still i still think like <laughs> the fact that they were so extreme is what i like about them you know so yeah i mean, may, I mean musically a lot, a lot of great stuff a friend of mine said said like i, mean, I always there was a friend of mine um uh in uh in high school uh shout out to john berg um sung for some local hardcore band still a great guy uh he knew that I liked death metal and grindcore in high school and he was the hardcore guy and he'd always be like Will I got this metal band and he'd play me Earth Crisis <laughs> or Botch oh, yeah. but he'd kind of like sell it to me as a metal band you know what I mean and he wasn't wrong because it was like it was like kind of like the same it was a Slayer yeah, yeah but like that's he basically he was like he was like Earth Crisis is basically just Slayer but they make it more groovy you know and he wasn't yeah, wrong yeah totally say, say yeah it. I mean there's a, there's a song on Firestorm that's his exact drum part from a Slayer song mm -hmm. And, so and like, it was funny because it's, you know, history repeats itself. Nowadays, you got a lot of younger hardcore bands that are using common death metal, uh, I guess you yep. could say tropes or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, uh, and, and it's just, you know, it, it's, it cycles, goes around in, in circles. Um, and I'm getting on that note from transitioning from hardcore into metal. Uh, yeah. we, Unearthly Trance starts in 2000, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And you guys put yeah. out the uh, Sonic Burial Hymns demo. That's the first thing you did in 2000? 
Right. And the drummer of Motive was the first drummer of Unearth the Trance on that on that demo and on the first seven inch. Yeah, and um, I I look back again. I revisited a lot of the older material today doing the research, and Ooh. it you know I guess because I listened to Motive in high school. Again, I had a very young perception of things. Things fit into boxes for me back when I was a sure. teenager. But listening today, it seems like such a, a seamless transition between Motive and Unearthly Trance. That's interesting. I think we, I mean, Unearthly Trance started with me and Jay Newman mm-hmm. wanting to do like a doom band, which was very uncommon back then. Like, Absolutely. Very few, very few bands were doing that. So we, I was like, wow, someone else likes this music. Awesome. <laughs> and I kind of convinced Pete from motive like you know play in this band with me like check it out and he gave it a shot but over time it wasn't for him he was and so i think that his drumming is the common theme between motive and their early yeah very first unearthly trance stuff because he was very busy and he did a lot of fills and all this you know cool dr- he had his signature drumming style but he it wasn't for him and he said like i think the literal words were shit's too depressing for me i gotta i can't play in the band anymore <laughs> Like he hated the slow tempos. Like he I, was so bored. Knowing like he his would smoke style, a cigarette between beats. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you said. Well, that's what's interesting is kind of like I mean, I guess because what I did and what I normally do when we have an interview is I try to chronologically listen to a discography of an artist. So I listen to Motive, then I listen to Unearthly Trance, starting with the demos and the first couple of releases, yeah. and you kind of see like I guess because because the beginning of Unearthly Trance, you have Pete's signature drum style which you know you can tell it's him from a mile away um when he's on drums and your guitar obviously it's a different genre you're going for but you could still tell it's you on guitar there's kind of like this psychedelic uh loose raw element to the guitar work that um is not such a far cry from that last motive album um yeah and in in my opinion the the demo that motive did after that fetus shall become ash i don't know if you've heard that but that's like a death metal influence, like almost like more progressive version of the album, and like there's more death metal kind of vocals on it. So that's that was the link, because when Motive was playing with like metal bands at the end, like we play. I'm pretty sure we played with either. Uh, I'm drawing a blank, but we played a few death metal shows. We played a couple different shows at the end with Motive, so we were like already thinking about going that way. But then we just kind of broke up. And so I always had these ideas, like, I want to do something sludgy, doomy, and with some black metal influences, and that was Unearthly Trance. Like, And Pete hung out, and then we got Darren, who I mentioned before was yeah. in my first band. Yeah. You know, a childhood friend, friend of Sal's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go there. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I mean, and that's the th- I mean, to be honest, Sal is the reason we, you and I are probably even talking right now, so... Well, I mean, we have we have a lot of friends in common, but it probably does go back to Sal, yeah. Because um, right right now we'll get to our project that you and I have been working on. Mm. But Rick is kind of the link there, and Sal is the link the the, the right. link to me and Rick. Um, in this in this Mastic Shirley metal uh, genealogy <laughs> that we're doing, um, yeah. So before we go full bore into unearthly trance territory, and we still got uh. one foot in Long Island hardcore. Um, maybe we could speak to your connection to, to Sal and the Mastic Shirley scene. Um, is there anybody else like, like were the guys from Afterbirth around back then? I'm just trying to think of like who you might have been you know, no, in touch with. They weren't around, but I knew the demo from a friend 
So I knew of them back in the day. Like I definitely remember Afterbirth as a local band. Yeah. As far as local Mastic Shirley bands, there were very few. Tension, I mean, Tension would be the only other band that like we knew, like near us, and those guys were always our friends. It's interesting, but it, that is interesting many, because quite a different style of hardcore. Yeah, than Motive. Motive. <laughs> Motive played with Tension a lot. It's kind of funny. Wow, that's like, funny because Motive. Uh, motive strikes me as being a little more in touch with their feelings than than tension. <laughs> tension more is that like yeah. rob you in the Seven Eleven parking lot type of thing, you know. But that but the thing was, we were from Mastic, so we could yeah. understand that. You know, we were like, "Yep, yeah, that's cool." Like, I don't know, there's something, <laughs> there. there's something in the water out there. Like, yeah, yeah, can't explain it. Like, I felt more unsafe in Mastic than when I lived in Brooklyn for ten years. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, man. I mean, Mastic's its own place, man. And um, uh, on that, while, while we're while we're in Mastic, uh, hanging out in the Seven Eleven parking lot right now, um, <laughs> I can't wait to leave. Yeah, just I'm throwing. I didn't even bring the segue because I was worried it was going to get stolen. Uh, <laughs> let's just go right in. Ta- how do you know Sal? Sal. Sal. I know Sal, Sal through Darren. For the listeners, Probably. by the way, I'm talking about Sal, a.k.a. Fergus, the drummer of Grey Skies Fallen and Buckshot Facelift, who I clown on quite a bit, good friend of mine. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so so you know him. Uh, yeah, I, him and Darren um, kind of grew up together, right? Yeah, and they had a band back together. Like him, Darren, and Ray Perry had a band called LOM. Okay. Which they never recorded, never played a show, but they had a serious band for, like, years. And they're like, oh, that's cool. You guys still doing that? Like, but, <laughs> you know, lost to obscurity. And I okay. actually did a band with Sal once back in a day, a black metal band. And we had one song. <laughs> and we, re- we jammed it. And we had like three rehearsals and then no- nothing ever happened of it. But yeah. it was like a cool like black death metal band back in the day. But I knew Sal just through like hanging out with Darren, smoking weed and like... Allegedly. Well, you know, <laughs> what you know what I mean. What, but all right, let's. I mean, uh, let's cut to the chase here. Sal, Sal's an asshole. <laughs> yeah, he's a prick. Sal, Sal, he had to do some dumb shit back in the day, right? I mean, I mean, starting fights with people. Or Actually, something. when he, oh well, yeah. Well, I can only thing I can give it a story of that I can think of immediately is I filled in for Gray Skies because I knew Sal <laughs> played a show in like San Antonio, like a metal fest. Oh, okay, and yeah. As soon as we got there, he's literally starting a fight with some guy, and like he's about to fight some guy. We're like, Sal, what the fuck are you doing? And this guy's like calling him Jew boy and all this stuff, like in San Antonio, and he's like fighting this guy. I'm like, we just got here. What the hell's going on, Sal? And he was, he was like ready to go right away, and then we like defuse the situation, and like, he pretty much talked about it the rest of the time. Yeah, yeah, like, like you guys defused Sal it. Sal is always talked. reading people wrong. That's his thing. He reads yeah. people wrong. Like, he gets like, gets offended. And like, next thing you know, he's like, got shit going on with someone. Yeah, yeah, he brings the mask. But he's out. also, he's a comedian. He's yeah. like, who's this guy cracking opening jokes. the door for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, well, no, I, why is this guy looking at me? There was one night where, um, I'm not going to say the show or where, but there was a show we played with a band with Buckshot, and my boy Sal had a few drinks in him. Uh, and and uh, a, a very like skinny, slight, uh, uh, you know, young little guy, kind of nerdy guy that was performing with one of the one of the other bands we played with, much younger than us, like very casually and, and friendly, like was saying goodbye to everyone, <laughs> so, you know, shake, shaking <laughs> yeah. my hand, shake my bass player's hand, have a good night, guys, good play in the show, yeah. she politely shakes Sal's wife's hand and says, "Have a good night." 
And Sal looks at him. He's like, touching my wife. Oh, man. <laughs> we I had, had a to, similar story. We had to break it up. Oh, God. I remember one time we were leaving. I think you were there. Uh, Unearthly Transplate at the Acheron. And Sal had some beef with some guy because he thought the guy was threatening Jay. But he was actually saying, hey, man, good set. You know, oh, great show. That was at St. Vitus. Yeah, oh, that was at St. Vitus. I was That's there. Right. That was actually the night where you guys opened up the Unearthly Trance set with like the incredibly slow Funeral Doom riff. And Sal oh, did yeah. like Long Island Hardcore Windmills, like he was watching yes. VOD in 94. And he, and he said out and like, yeah. I was like, who's doing that? Who the fuck is boshing to the slowest song? And I was like, ah, oh, it's Sal. He yeah. Like yeah, Sal, 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 in Sal's head, he was at Indecision 96 doing windmills. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then, yeah, I was right next to him or whatever. And like, some, like, like, like I was standing with Jay and Sal. And this, like, the dude was big. He was a big, heavy set yeah. guy with a bald head. He looked like he was tough. And he comes up to Jay and he's like, "Hey, I'm, I'm a big fan. Good set." And Sal's like, "What the fuck did you say?" <laughs> and That's then it. That it sums out. up Sal. Right? I, I had to get between them, and then we had to leave early. It was bad. Yeah, the guy, the guy came to me. He was like, "He was like, yo, no, 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 you're cool, but your man thinks he's top dog. You got to get him out of here." <laughs> Oh, man. Hey, we all got a friend who takes it there sometimes and has a few too many, yeah. right? I mean, there's I that one that guy in every group. Sal's, a, Sal's an old friend, so I give him a pass. Yeah, man. And you know what, man? Uh, it's something to be said for um, a loyal friend who doesn't back yep. down and has your back, man. So, you know, there's yeah. that. Um, Any so- of the old friends from Mastic, you know, I still always I keep in touch with all those my old friends from Mastic. Yeah. How, that's who my friends are, my friends from Mastic, basically. You never know when you might uh, allegedly need someone to help you move a body or something, man, you know? Yeah. Those Mastic guys come in, come in handy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you pronounced amp wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, allegedly I mean, amp, I meant. If, if you, in terms of Unearthly Trance, we did a lot of stuff, like a lot. We were banned for a long, long amount of time. Yeah, and dude, yeah. A lot of it's a blur. <laughs> I mean, get, yeah, getting into that, um, I mean, yeah, like, you guys have a lot under your belt. You released a lot of stuff. Uh, you worked with a few different labels. And I wanted to kind of start there because after your demos, you put out the 7-inch, the, um, uh, what was it, Lord Human, Lord Humanless. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get the right title here. Lord Humanless Awakens. You got it, man. I don't need to remember it. <laughs> you, um, oh, you remember that? <laughs> you, you put out the 7 Side note. Side note, this, the name of uh, the metal band that me and Sal did that had one song was called, oh, fuck, something humanless, oh, not, uh, Seance of the Humanless. And <laughs> so we had this theme of humanless, interesting thing to think about now, but that was like a theme that we just carried over into Unearthly Trance. That sounds like a Sal <laughs> theme. So that's it. So Sal played some sort of an influence into Unearthly Trance too, man. He's, yeah, he's maybe. like he's an octopus with his tentacles all over the world. Um, well, his connection to Darren, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but what I'm getting at with that seven inch is that came out on Southern Lord. Uh, that yep. was your first time working with that label, right? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's a pretty iconic label in terms of the sludgy doom type of metal sure um well back then they had like two releases out like burning witch and thor's hammer yeah and so we were like we want to be on that label that's cool yeah that's what i'm getting in in a way you you helped to define the label yeah we sent a demo to greg and he was like whoa this is sick you guys got like sludge but black metal vocals i love it and so he loved our demo we sent him the seven inch recording and he hated it 
He was like, oh, it's too clean. It's too clean. Why'd you, get, why'd you guys record at a real studio? We were like, oh, whoops. I thought you wanted something better. And so he was kind of bummed that we didn't have like this necro sound for the 7-inch. And then he, I don't know, he just took a chance on us. Like, we were so lucky. We just sent him a demo. And he was like, fuck yeah, I want to put out a, I want to put out a record. And we were like shocked. And, you know, we went from being completely obscure, like no one in Long Island liked us. And then Greg gave us a chance from Southern Lord. And it kind of took off from there. Yeah. And that was like our starting, that was like our bat, like we launched off from that. And I think we sent him demos. And he was like, ah, that's all right. Send me, send me some more stuff. And then we met Lee Dorian by chance because Steve O'Malley, who lived in New York at the time, was like, oh, my, my buddy's from Cathedral coming over. Can you give him a ride to the New Jersey Metal Fest? And I was like, sure. The cathedral? Fuck yeah. And so I met Lee Dorian. Me and Jay, we hung out with Cathedral for the weekend. And I was like, oh, we're in a band. He's like, oh, send me some stuff sometimes. So we sent him some new songs we were working on. And then Rise Above signed us for our first two records, Lee Dorian's label. Yeah, um... Cathedral, and, Napalm, Death, Fame. Yeah, yeah, um, and I, so, I mean, I would, that was going to be one of my questions was, um, how did, you know, how you came into contact working with him, obviously you just summed that up, but what yeah. was that like dealing with his label and working with someone who was, um, an artist who had started their own print, imprint as, as opposed to just somebody who was a label guy? Well, it was good and bad because he was an artist, so he wasn't that good at doing the label stuff, but... <laughs> he gave us a chance to just like do our thing and he didn't say a word about anything he just he was he was cool to us he was really like a nice guy and he had another guy running the business so it was like I talked to Lee and I talked to the business guy basically but we had a great experience because it built up our following in like the UK so we could years later always tour the UK and Europe and have great shows so it was like we were pretty much unknown in the States until Relapse and then always had good shows, UK and Europe, because because of Rise Above, because they put up, you know, our first two records, Seasons of Seance and In the Red, which to me is like our defining record in a way. Those wow. first two records like cemented who we were in the UK and the UK Doom scene, which was really where Doom, modern Doom came from. Yeah, with bands like Cathedral. Um, uh, and, yeah, uh, and, and Rise Above, quite frankly. like They yeah. they were like the label. And well, yeah, they, they just put got out, lucky. Well, what, like Orange Goblin, right? Electric Wizard. Electric you know, Wizard, like, Sleep. Uh, Sleep, actually, that's a weird thing. Because here's an interesting thing. There was Rise Above, and then we had an American label called The Music Cartel, which put out the North American versions of the Rise Above releases for oh, the most okay. part. And, Rise, and the music cartel put out a bootleg version of Jerusalem called also Dope Smoker back in the day. Yeah. And that's where I first heard of Sleep Through. So there's like a connection that for sure. Okay. To All right. That's where I got that from. All right. right. Um, and and no, speak. And also well, what you just said, would you say that um, that kind of sludgy doom metal was uh, it didn't catch on in the United States until much later? Oh, we yeah, absolutely. Because like, we guys, were pretty much the only band playing like yeah. Sludge Doom with like blackened influence back then. Like we were the first. I don't think anyone else was doing that, and we didn't. Nobody liked us in huh. the states. So, I mean, now um, 
I mean, I've, we just recently interviewed uh, Ethan McCarthy, a primitive man, a few months ago, yeah. and they're kind of that's uh-huh. kind of like symbolic of how big that style of metal has become in the United States, you know. I mean, how I know those guys, and we did a split with them, yeah, a couple of years ago, and he said like, oh, when you guys played Denver on the Relapse Contamination Tour or something, you know, we we got into you guys and you guys influenced us, and we were like, whoa, bands are like influenced by us now. That's crazy, <laughs> like really hit home like wow i'm old (laughs) old but relevant that's that's always a good thing man to me like there's no better compliment than a band who's more popular than you saying hey you guys you know we loved you guys and kind of influence us in a little some sort of minute way uh, it's like it, passing along the flame, the torch, you know? Yeah, exactly, man. Um, <clears throat> you're making a, a, an impact in the, in the style of music you enjoy, man. Um, and before we talk too much about Relapse and your third album, I want to talk um, another guy uh, that you and I both know. You, you and I... Uh, uh, we have a lot of friends in common, um, and we've recently yeah. worked on a project together, man. That's why this is funny, because... Uh, I know. We, we, we're just getting to know each other. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like new friends, kind of, man, but we know it's a like lot of... like band practice is yeah. all business. And, why not do yeah. it for the public? Yeah, yeah right, yeah, right now. Watch Will get to know Ryan. <laughs> for the good of the band. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I barely talk about any of my past bands with anyone so this is fun for me yeah dude i mean that's this is what it's all about and uh, you know obviously we do a lot of this for the listeners too so they can go back and check yeah. stuff out and and like yeah. i said before it occurred to me that people who are um fans of unearthly trance uh might benefit from checking out that old motive material um because i feel like it's still on your journey as a guitarist that's and, interesting and relevant yeah i mean um, if people are fans of your guitar work and your songwriting i think there's something of interest there that's you know that'll, yeah that'll, i think you know. I think the album is some of my most unique guitar playing. Like I can't play some of that stuff now. Like <laughs> if I try to play it, I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's because I was straight edge and crazy, like writing stuff. Hey, those then, straight edge guys, man. They they got a lot of time to kill, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and a lot more brain cells sometimes. Um but no, what I was getting at, a friend that we have in common, Jay Newman. Um Oh yeah. How do you meet Jay Newman and decide to start a band with him? that's a great question um, I knew Jay Newman from the Long Island Hardcore days and we would go to shows together he we became friends when Motive sold out and he's like oh you guys aren't strange anymore you want to go smoke a joint you know like yeah sure you know like that kind of thing yeah allegedly allegedly and he kept I kept in touch with him over the years he, he kind of he kind of got out of hardcore too and was into the same kind of shit like sludge and stoner and like so we'd get together like around 2000 or something right before Unearthly Transformed and just hang out listen to records and I was like he barely played bass and I was like let's do a band and he was into it and he like basically the first time he played bass was in an Unearthly Trance and so I started from the ground up with him like kind of showing him this style of music I had in my head and like he became the ultimate bass player for that because that's how he learned how to play bass. So he was basically like my right-hand man from the beginning with Unearthly Trance. Like he, without him, we wouldn't have gone that far because he also had a hand in like doing a lot of the business aspect of the band and stuff. So it was like me and him and Darren just played drums, obviously drummers. And we, we both did like 20 years of a band together just kind of as partners, just dealing with stuff and sorting shit out and he was always like 
the rock in the band. Like he was, he was the cool, he was the guy that drove. He was the guy that would like get the money at the end of the night. And Jay Newman was like, I was like the artistic kind of. <laughs> here's my new song, and he was the guy that you know we, we were a good partnership. So yeah, Jay did a lot of. He's uh, he's a Go funny ahead. he's a funny guy. He's very like he, he can be very engaging, but he's also very blunt, very Long Island, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, super Long Island. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> I mean that's the bond too. Like he was from East Meadow. Yeah, yeah. So he's one of the Nassau dudes. But and with that, uh, I'm gonna throw a name. I don't know. Maybe this is a friend that you and I have, I have in common. Maybe this is something we'll edit out because it's a dud. Were, were you um, around Lee Altamari, uh, rest in peace, and the the band of The course. Communion? At that point. Of course. Yeah. You know those stickers? The white stickers with Lee's face? I made those. Wow. Okay, because I do yeah, own a me. few of those. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lee was Lee was one of those people I was friends with way back in the day from the Long Island hardcore scene. He was in a band okay. called... What was it? Oh, fuck. Maybe it was in a band. I'm not sure. But I knew Lee, Lee since back in the day through Ron Grimaldi. I'm sure you know who Ron is. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we even... Before he passed out of nowhere, we were about to do a side band with him called Nowhere. I th- and it was like a sludgy, like kind of Soylent Green, kind of like fast and sludgy band. And it was like all his style, like shit he was into. It was like him in Unearthly Trance. We're going to just do a little side project. And we never got to finish it. But I have like some rehearsals and stuff of the side band we did. But he was a great guy. Like, Oh, yeah. One of my favorites from back because he would just tell it like it is. He'd just <laughs> shoot you straight. Well, we put out something. He like I didn't really like that, but that's cool. I'm like, all right. Yeah, nice. I I mean I think uh, every once in a while um, to myself how funny it would be to have a conversation with Lee about the current climate in metal. Yeah, and all of his that. sarcasm about you know what things I think that is, are like, popular. Would Lee, and, would Lee approve of this? And that? But, you know, what, what would he think? Like, can, what would he yeah, do? can I just talk to Lee for 15 minutes about OSDM so I can get a couple of good cracks in? You know. But, he um, was he was a cool dude, man. That's all I could say. Like he was one of the the cool ones. Like wasn't a dick. He was like always friendly and you know check out this band. He, I have mixtapes he used to send me before. You know I, I can imagine great guy. The first time I met him was in front of Tower Records in Huntington. Uh, it was kind of like you know his his roaming group of metalheads ran into my, me and a couple of my friends. <laughs> uh, at, in cool. front of Tower Records because back then you, that's that was, that's what we did. We hung out. I used at record to go there stores. too. Yeah, yeah, in Huntington, that was a great store, was, and uh, uh, I remember, like you know, we were just amazed that we met other people who knew what death metal was. I don't remember he being... knew it all. That was that was his thing. He knew death metal, black metal, sludge yeah. metal. Like, he was like one of those dudes that was like, I'm not just into hardcore either. I know. And I think a lot of the people I connected with when I was transitioning out of the Long Island hardcore scene were people that were also into metal and like you know went to metal shows in the city, like. You know, he was into Neurosis and I Hate God back in the day. And, like, those kind of bands were, like, my ticket out of hardcore, you know? Yeah, yeah, man. And things started, um, the walls started breaking down between hardcore and punk and metal a little bit in the late 90s and genre yeah. bending and people going mm-hmm. to different types of shows was more acceptable. Especially in New York City back then was amazing. You know? Yeah, you weren't necessarily going to get jumped by, uh, by, by a bunch of skinheads for having long hair at a hardcore show anymore. Things were kind of relaxing on that end. No, but you know. one thing I will say about that time period is shows were super violent. Like when I think yeah. about shows now, they're so safe and sanitized. Back then, like shit was crazy. And it's like I always yeah. think about that. Yeah, there was a lot of crews. We've talked about that before. We talked with that uh, with Christian McKnight um, a little bit mm-hmm. about how you had like kind of like roaming groups of um, 
uh, crews and, and you yeah. know, there was all different people committing violence. And I think a lot of it has to do with smartphones and um, surveillance cameras not, not yeah. having happened as big. Accountability, right? Yeah. Also lawyers, Salino and Barnes. Yeah, attorney yeah. my ass, you know. I, I feel very thankful to have grown up knowing what it was like before the internet and then life after the internet. So, like, I have two different yeah. points of view. Like, it's I feel kind of oh, lucky man. in that respect. That's something that blows my mind every time I think about it, how uh, people like us, people who are kind of young right now, um, you know, between their, like, I guess their, their 30s and 40s, because uh, even people in their 20s right now, do those kids really remember life before the internet? Did they experience it? Like, I mean, I, I remember, um, you know, learning how to drive and going to high school really without the internet being a thing, yeah. uh, you know, and getting into underground music without the internet. And now, I, you know, no one else is really going to be able to experience both uh, you know, pre-internet and 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 you know, smartphone era, <clears throat> social media era. It was, um, it was definitely a transition know. phase. Like, yeah, yeah. Like going from putting out demo tapes and Motive and CDs. We right. never put out a, a, a full-length record of Motive, and going going full circle to like things are on Bandcamp and you could just upload it yourself and people check it out. It's like it's pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, and and trying to shop uh, a new project on cassette because that's a, a more of a viable format that format than a CD nowadays almost. I know it's funny. I man. still think I think CDs are going to become retro in like five seven years. You'll be like, oh, you got CDs, cool. Uh, it, it could. I mean, hey, man, I'm just so burnt out on CDs. I don't want CDs. All I really yeah. want nowadays is either give me the digital download so I can listen to it. Or if I'm yeah. going to have a physical copy, I want the vinyl or the cassette. I don't even want another yeah. CD. You know? Will has broken like five or six of my CDs just looking at it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, shoot them, I shoot them to look, and they yeah. just crack. I, I have a bunch of plastic bins in my garage filled with CDs that I don't even touch because I don't even have a CD player. Actually, I do, but I don't ever use it. Who's going to plug that in? We'll bring them skeet shooting one day. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go out to Tom's house and do that. Um, but I mean, geez, I'm looking at the clock now, Ryan. We've had you on the Shit. phone for like almost 45 minutes, to, probably more. We only talked about three of my bands. I know we only got we only got to so much. I've so been little. in like 15 bands. We're we're gonna have to definitely do a part two. Don't worry, I'm not <laughs> wrapping it up yet. I'm but, just kidding. But um, I know because you do have a lot of projects, and I want to get to all of them. Um, but let's talk. You, you put out the third uh, Unearthly Trance album, Trident on Relapse Records, uh, and that was in 2006, correct? Correct. So can we just talk a little bit, I mean, how do you engage Relapse Records? Do they approach you? Do you approach them? Um, Like, and and how does that all uh, happen? Uh, Let me think. Oh, I know. So Unearthly Trans played a show in Philly. I forget with who. And people from Relapse were there. It was kind of like... We kind of thought they were checking us out, so we played, and then they loved it, and they were like, "Oh, we want to." At the time, Matt Jacobson was running the show. He was like, "I want to sign you guys to Relapse." And we were like, "What? Yeah, sure." And he sent us a record contract really quickly, and we weren't that happy with Rise Above because they were in the UK and they were hard to get in touch with, and we just kind of wanted American label and. When relapse approached us, we were just like, "All right, this seems like you know a good idea." Because lots of bands we liked were on relapse. It just seemed like a good home for us, and we just jumped on it. Really, yeah. I mean, relapse obviously still an extremely relevant label, uh, but in that early two thousands era, 
the physical format thing was was still um, a lot more relevant. Uh, yeah. You know, downloading music hadn't completely taken over, and social media hadn't completely yeah. taken over yet. Uh, right. And relapse was on that like Dillinger escape plan, pig destroyer kind of wave. And most importantly, uh, Mastodon. I think yeah, Mast- they, yeah, yeah, exactly. Something happened with Mastodon where they they signed a lot of bands after Mastodon went onto a major label. So I think they like whatever they made from Mastodon moving on, they signed a shit ton of new bands, like playing kind of like the new sludgy style. And we were one of them, but we kind of got got in at the right time on Relapse, I think. Yeah, I mean, they're probably looking for the next Mastodon. Because yeah, when pretty, you see I returns think, like that, it's like, uh, and you sure. have a little bit more capital, now you can play the game a little harder. Yeah, they. I think we got lucky in that respect because it was like something that was on the upswing, like the sludgy kind of music is taking off. And um, what what exactly changed for the band uh, with Relapse Records? I think when we signed to Relapse, we felt a little pressure to kind of step it up or something, become more of a professional band. So I think in that process, we took our shit more seriously and. We toured a lot in that era and like we just felt like a sense of responsibility like all right we signed a relapse let's make this shit you know do the best we can so we put a lot of effort in at that time it felt like important and we got a lot of press we got a lot of reviews like we did tours and like relapse kind of put, pushed us up to this next level that maybe we didn't even know like what we were doing but we just went for it and i think we became more even more of ourselves on record like we didn't care about doom we didn't care about sludge we just feel like all right let's just do whatever the fuck we feel like kind of like what motive did where we kind of threw out the traditional like i think there was a period of time when we signed a relapse so we, we were like trying to like confuse people like who liked our first record like we're not a doom band we're like all this other shit too and was that album the first time you guys worked with producer sanford parker um, it was the second time. The first time was on In the Red. Oh, okay, which, all right. That was our. We in the red. We we loaded up the van, took all our gear, crashed at Sanford Studios, used all of our gear, and just fucking did an honest record of like on our crappy busted up gear. Huh, huh. And then on Trident, we stepped it up because we went to Electrical Audio, which is Steve Albini's studio which is an amazing place. And we track drums and basic tracks there in Sanford. I think Relapse suggested him. I can't re- Oh, no, no, wait. Sanford saw us on the tour in Chicago. And he was like, I want to record you guys. And then once we got to sign a Relapse, we were like, we should ask that guy Sanford to record us. Um, not when, when we did In the Red, we asked him to record us. And then when we did the Trident, he suggested we go to electrical audio and we kind of stepped it up even further. Like we just got, we had a budget that was a little bit better, and we just wanted to like one up our last record in terms of our approach. Yeah, and uh, just for the listeners, Sanford Parker might be better known as um, a member of the band Minsk, uh, M I N S K, who's kind of um, gained a lot of popularity the last several years in the metal scene. Mm, and who's in that like black metal supergroup Twilight? I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, supergroup. Yeah, that had. Uh, I was in a super group, <laughs> and we got a super group to talk about too. Still, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, just real quickly, we were. I was in a band called Serpentine Path with the dude from Winter. And that was like it was like every single press release. I mean, this is 
after Arnett the Trance first broke up, we did Serpentine Path, and we did it with first. It was like Tim Bagshaw from Electric Wizard, mm-hmm. and then the second record we added Stefan from Winter. So it was like Doom Supergroup. Yeah, and was I fun, was. It was a fun time. You um you 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 kind of uh uh. uh you stole my segue and ran off. Uh, Sorry, I keep no, doing that. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> no, it's do it good. as much as you can. Because um, you know, because I was going to ask you um, about Serpentine Path. I, uh, you know, I, I had done, done my research on that and highly recommended band Serpentine Path. Um, maybe for people who are a little more death metal inclined. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, with their doom metal, because you did mention Winter, and I feel like that's a, a good reference point. Mm. Um, if people are fans of that kind of slow doomish death metal, Serpentine Path put out two albums, uh, both on Relapse Records, right? Yep. And um, yeah, like you said, it's kind of a super group. Uh, and I so so what happened? So Unearthly Trance broke up at one point, but then the three yeah. of you played music again together and added someone else. Two thousand eleven. Unearthly Trance was on tour in Australia, and then we went on to Japan, and we experienced the the earthquake in Japan. Like okay. we were there at the time, and it wow. like fucked us up. And we were like, "Fuck this! I don't want to do anything for a while." And then we we kind of soldiered on for another year, but I think we were so like just out of it as a band for for doing it for like twelve years straight that we just broke up. It was kind of like we just needed a break, but we didn't know it, so. We were still friends, and Tim Bagshaw from Electric Wizard, he moved to New Jersey, and he was like, let's do a project. I'm like, oh, that's fun. And so we did a seven inch on Parasitic, which is like a super slow death doom, and we did like a seven inch for fun. And then as soon as Relapse heard it, like, oh, we'll put out some records. And we are like, sure. But we recorded them ourselves. And so it's an interesting thing where it's like one of the few bands I still like actually make a couple bucks from like the records the band that barely did anything ironically <laughs> so go out and pick up those two serpentine path records yeah. if you want to support your boy ryan that's the only way i'm going to make money <laughs> <laughs> yeah um uh and now speaking of that i don't want to move on from that um too quick because you talked about that earthquake can you talk about uh, what, where you were, what it was like uh, experiencing that in in Japan, I, and and what year was that? 2011. The anniversary just happened a couple of days ago. It was okay. three eleven eleven. Okay. Um, we had three show tour booked in Japan with the Melvins and High on Fire. Sweet. It was like a dream. We were like, wow, this is amazing. Played the first show, it was amazing. Second show was amazing third show was Tokyo we get on the bullet train we're having a great time drinking on the train whatever and then we get picked up by the driver in Tokyo it's me Jay and Darren from Unearthly Trance and Dez the drummer from High on Fire we're in a van we're driving to the venue in Tokyo and we're on like a ramp like an exit ramp kind of thing and all of a sudden I start seeing feel the van moving and then I look out the window and I see all the buildings swaying side to side and I was like oh fuck I think this is an earthquake because I've never been in one and it literally like was crazy and I was like I think that was a big one and so the driver's Japanese he doesn't speak a word of English and we just were all like shocked and we drive like 10 minutes to the venue and everyone's just freaking out everyone's outside the buildings and you know, the dudes from the Melvins come running out of the venue, like, we were sound checking and the earthquake happened. Like, for real, Melvins were sound checking when they 
uh, the earthquake happened and I guess the drummer busted his finger trying to run out the venue. And so he rushed to the hospital and they were hanging out with all the bands like frantic and like um, buzz from the Melvins is like, we got to get out of here. So he like leads us out of the city and we're like standing in the middle of some random road. And I'm like, what is going on? This is the weirdest fucking day of my life. Wow. And then show's canceled. We go back to the hotel. We're just drinking, drinking, drinking. You know, huh. like, this is crazy. And then there's like aftershocks. And we're supposed to fly out the next day. And then we see the Fukushima thing blowing up. And I'm like, oh, fuck, we're dead. And so we go to the airport the next morning, which took us six hours to get to the airport, which was like 45 minutes away. And we just make it, and there's like troves of people just trying to flee Japan. And we just somehow Jay got us to go for the front of the line. Like that was Jay's magical gift. He could like talk anyone. Like, yo, we're from America. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. Let us to the front of the line. Wow. Just, so we flew out of. I'm sorry. Just just crazy, to interrupt crazy. you once. Just to reinforce my point about how Long Island Jay like that's that that sums yep, up yep. Jay in a nutshell. That's what I was trying yeah. to an engaging but blunt Long Island man. All right. Yeah, he made it happen. Yeah. We jumped ahead this line and then we <laughs> flew out of Japan on like a empty flight the day after that earthquake. And wow, we were fucking rattled. That's wow. that's crazy. I mean, you're in this like extreme environment anyway. And all the shit's yeah. going down, and now you're under the leadership of Buzz Osborne. <laughs> yeah, and when we were driving to the airport, we were with, it was me, it was the dudes from Unearthly Trance and the Melvins in a van driving out of there. And me, Jay, and Darren are freaking like, oh man, what if we don't get our flights? And he's like, ah, oh, you'll be fine, don't worry about it. He was like, cool as fuck, so I was like, to have like some, it felt like a weird dream. I was yeah. like, this isn't real. And like when the earthquake happened... We were like hanging out with like Matt Pike, drinking whiskey, and we're just like, "What is happening? Is this real?" Like, wow. it was one of the, it's like a defining moment in my life. I'd have to say. I can imagine, man. That's crazy, man. Thanks for sharing the story, man. It's pretty. Uh, yeah, it's, it's I've exciting. never told it. You know, it's it's interesting. We're glad everybody, uh, you know, got home. Um, I mean, I still think about that shit. I'm, just uh, like, I'm sure. I watched like Fukushima like documentaries and shit. Yeah, you were right. You were there. I mean, that's a big thing, man. Um, Totally. Uh, and, I mean, speaking to touring, I mean, I doubt you have a lot of other experiences similar to that on tour, but you guys did <laughs> do your fair share of touring. You toured, um, yeah. I know you toured with Sun O, I guess that's how their band name is pronounced. Sun. Uh, or Sun. Yeah, I've always been a little iffy on how to pronounce that because they, they, they named like, their band after the amps. Okay, all right. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm a vocalist. I wouldn't know all that yeah. extra stuff. Um, right. Marshall, uh, Pelican, another band, right? You guys did a stint with. We right? did a we did a nice t um, tour with Pelican and Black Cobra, who's an awesome okay. two piece, and oh. they were the coolest guys. Like, and their crowds didn't like us, but it was cool because we had a nice cushy tour, and then we broke down in Florida, and ooh. But up until we broke down, we missed a couple of shows. But Pelican was really one of the bands that we toured with who had like this kind of built-in crowd that was super nice to us like they barely drank and they'd be like yeah take all our beers and we'd have like a bucket <laughs> of pabst and they'd have like red stripe and sierra nevada like, can we have your beers and like yeah we don't drink them take them those motive but, guys could see you now right <laughs> oh forget it um and uh i know you did a stint with morbid angel at one point right Mm, not a stint. We played a show at Castle Heights with Morbid Angel. Oh, okay. All right. So I with got, yeah. Pete McCoyle on drums. 
Wow. Okay. So that's probably his last show with us. I think. I mean, if there's one note to end on, play, opening up for Morbid Angel is it? I guess. Yeah, I still have a ticket, the ticket stub from the show, and it was like, "Unearthly Angel." It says on it or something like oh, that. Oh God. Like, uh, awesome. Uh, oh yeah, because Morbid Angel, Morbid Morbid Angel at St. Vitus. That must have been because uh, I I saw a Cryptopsy at St. Vitus. I, I, I at Castle Heights. Uh, whenever we Castle talk Heights. about Castle Heights, I end up calling it St. Vitus because I associate the two places because they have a similar vibe with me. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I do know what you mean. Very similar vibe. Um, the fr- on a Castle Heights note, the first show our drummer Darren played in Unearthly Trance was with Grey Skies Falling at Castle Heights. Wow, another Sal story. <laughs> Grey Skies yep. Falling. Um, yeah, what I was getting at is. Uh, I, saw, I saw Cryptopsy at Castle Heights when Whisper Supremacy had first came out and Mike DeSalvo yeah. was with the band, and there was there was practically no room to stand. I mean, it was crazy, man. You were packed in like sardines. I can only imagine Morbid Angel was even worse. Yeah, it was a good show. Like it was packed, and we like mm-hmm. we like fucked up a song so bad, like that we <laughs> it was like what you, like Pete just spaced out on us like a new song we were playing, yeah, yeah. and we just like it was a disaster. But <laughs> that's my memory of it. <laughs> Well, you know, that you can always tell Morbid Angel you kick that drummer out if they remember it, right? They definitely don't that, remember. That was his last show with the band. No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> shout, shout out to Pete Motive, man. Um, uh, Pete is my brother. Yeah, um, and, and uh, you know, obviously, like we said, man, you can you can go back and listen to his drumming style, man, his signature drummer, and I, I feel like very influential drummer in the Long Island hardcore scene in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, buck up, buck up, buck up, buck up, pop, pop, pop. Yeah. That's Pete McCoyle's beat. Yeah, you can hear a little bit of that in Sal's work every once in a while. I think. Oh yeah, you know, I think I, so. I, I would I would say he would agree. Yeah. I like how this is all about Sal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so the whole it's all about when I wake up in the morning. Anyway, back it's to all Sal. About Sal. Yeah, the, the things that Will says about Sal that will yeah. never make this podcast. No, we're gonna. Do I a, haven't even met Sal. We're gonna do a whole shit, and I'm gonna what? keep it that way. You're you guys a good man. are gonna have Sal on. Yeah. We're going to get Sal on eventually. That'll be the last episode. (laughs) April Fool's, yeah. We're going off the air. Here's Sal. (laughs) Yeah, when the end of the world happens very shortly, you'll have Sal on. Yeah. Just like airing all his grievances. To narrate it all. Oh, God. All right, listen. Enough Sal, because you you, you got too many side projects to to talk about Sal again. Um, Let's talk about Thraldom. Okay, yeah. Because didn't that start, like, around the same time as Unearthly Trance? That's a good point. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um... Thraldom was a side project I did with this guy Jared Turinsky, who lived out in Quag. And oh, we're, we're so East Long Island right now. Yeah, so way out there. And he was into the Montauk project, into black metal, and I was like, let's do a project. And so we did a we did like a death metal, black metal, doom metal hybrid back in the day. Like I think our first recording was '97, and he could play really fucking fast, with blast beats. I was like, whoa, I don't know anyone that can do this shit. And so we, we did some demos that we kind of released. I think one of the demos we had at None of the Above Records, you know, that old... Oh, record. God, that lot of memories. I just dropped above. None of the Above. But I love None of the Above Records, man. Yes. We, we could talk all day about it, but go ahead. Could have a whole podcast on it. Anyway, really good. we did demos and we broke up. And then once Unearthly Trance started, I had some, not connections, but... I was into black metal too. I was like, I want to do this black metal side project. And we started doing, I did like a drum machine recording and I was like, let's call it Thraldom. And so as soon as Jared heard I was doing Thraldom, he's like, I'll play drums. And so Thraldom took off again in the 2000s and we put out a couple of records on some underground labels. And then we got 
you know, we put our early records out on Profound Lore. Like, we put, I think the third record was on a vinyl on Profound Lore, and he put out our last record on CD. And yeah. we did a couple of records, and I'm still, I was talking to Jared today from Geraldton, talking about finished this recording we started. Well, you, you guys kind of took, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there was like almost a 10-year break um, between your last full length and your most recent EP, uh, Time Will Bend Into Horror, which was put yeah, out yeah. in 2016. We, uh, we broke up, and then I started doing The Howling Wind. Because mm -hmm. Jared, I mean, Jared was into black metal, and like I knew Jared through a couple other people, and he was really into harsh noise and like just cool stuff I never heard before. So when I met Jared, he, he turned me on to a lot of stuff. And then he kind of got out of the whole metal thing, and he was more into like jazz and fusion. So we kind of went our separate ways. And then over the years, we became friends again. And it was like, let's do another recording because like we've always had fun just making. Like we never rehearsed; we just made recordings. And so that was the unique thing about Thralden, that it was a recording-only, project-only band, and it was kind of like let's just throw some shit out there and see what works. And we always had a good working relationship as a duo, and that was the important thing. Thralden was like a duo, like two people bouncing ideas off each other. And we used to, you know, like allegedly smoke a lot of weed and just like make cool black metal records. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm looking now. Um, you you mentioned the Howling Wind, which mm -hmm. is a two man project with uh, Tim Call, who people might know from Mournful Congregation. Uh, yep. Sem Sempaternal Dusk, uh, quite a few projects and bands he's been involved yeah, in. Yeah, Aldebaran, um, one of his best. I'm such a fucking idiot. I, re I forget everybody's band's name. <laughs> but Tim Tim put out early Unearthly Trance records, like vinyl, like seven inches. He put out some Thraldom records. And once Thraldom broke up, I was like, yeah, Yo, you want to do a project? And so we were literally tape trading, like drum beats and guitar riffs for a while. And we put together our first record. And Profound Lord put that out, and then he actually paid for us to go into the studio for our second and third record, uh, The Howling Wind. And so Tim came out and we recorded the records at Collins. But before we even recorded at Collins, like we just traded like files back and forth with demos. And we, for the first time ever playing it together, we did it on recording. And so it was, it was like Thraldom taking to the next level as far as a band. But it was always a spontaneous element with both of those bands. They're very connected. Yeah, because I was going to say, it seems like um, the Howling Wind picks up right where Thraldom leaves off chronologically. Um, yeah. You know, although Thraldom eventually comes back. And, um, you know, again, because it's, it's you know, and this is just my perception objectively as a, as a fan of music, going back and listening to all your projects and doing the research in like a, in a matter of a mm -hmm. day or two. Um it seems like people who are into unearthly trance and kind of have that maybe as a, um, a, a reference point for your music. Uh, if you want to see um, uh, your writing style a little more black metal, you have Thraldom and The Howling Wind. If you want to mm -hmm. see things go a little more death metal, you have Serpentine Path. And if you want to see things go more hardcore, you could go back and check out Motive. I mean, is that, is that fair to say? I, I think that's... Um, it's, it's, yeah, that shows a dynamic and discography I also did a band called Pollution which was more hardcore mm -hmm. in the the aughts I don't know what the fuck you call it 
you know, after the 2010, like we, I did a band pollution that we put out three records that was like a noisy, hardcore, black flag kind of dissonant kind of thing where I played bass and did vocals. And we played like the underground, like Brooklyn punk scene for a while. And then I got sick of that shit. But that was the other side of like music I did for a little bit. And villains. I don't know if you ever heard of villains. But yeah, that villains. Awesome. That's what I mean. There's so many. We're going to have to eventually get you on for a part two. Um, cool. <laughs> Ryan, because there's so many, so many projects. Do you find that it's a lot easier just to have different projects, uh, kind of like di- like different roads to send your um, your your energy down, yeah. rather than try to put it all into one band? I w- I've never been a fan of bands that did like all this different shit in one, mm-hmm. like one album. Like I like bands that kind of have a style and they, they explore it. Yeah. And so, Unearthly Trance was always like. The three of us jamming in a room. Like we recorded live mostly. Like we were like a, a unit. It was like the Trident. That was why we called it the Trident. Like we were a trio that, like we had to be together in a room to play. So that was what Unearthly Trance was all about. And every band, for me, even though I wrote most of the material in every band I was in, it was always about who I was playing with. So if I, you know, I would write something, like with that drummer in mind of that band. So I always felt like. I like to have different ideas with different people rather than doing it all in one band. And I also think that playing with other people has made me a better musician. So I always was open to that. Yeah. Um, and on, on that note, we are going to have to wind down the interview um, to be respectful of your time and of our format. Like I said, we're, we, you know, we'd love yeah. to have you back to talk more about... This is um, a nice distraction, that's all I can say. We, yeah. Well, that's, you know, we also, in our intro tonight, um, which you obviously weren't here for, we talked to the listeners acknowledging the current situation going on and how um, there's plenty of media outlets uh, and, and news sources now for everything that you want to stay informed on. And mm-hmm. we're kind of just here for when people need a break and need an hour or so to... Um, uh, to escape, you know, and we're going to continue to offer that metal content and, and uh, you know, having a nice discussion with you is part of that, man. So um, I appreciate it. Yeah, man. And, and like I said, you know, we're going to wind down now, even though there's so much more to talk about in, in your long career. Uh, one more thing I wanted to squeeze in there was a shameless uh, self-promotion for the project you and I have been working on yeah. uh, with, with some friends of ours. I think we can say now um, the band is called Reeking Aura. Mm-hmm. People can follow us on Facebook. I believe we're working on the Twitter and the other social media, the Instagram. There's um, an Instagram up. There is Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not the one in charge of those. Uh, there's a lot of guys in the band, so we're still sorting that all out. But people can check it yeah, out like online. Uh, there's no music out yet. Um, we're still trying to uh, get all that finished up. It's all been recorded. We're, st- we're just going to go into the mixing and mastering process and try to shop it around and that sort of thing. we got some artwork. But before we get into all that, People uh, will eventually hear this, but um, Ryan, the band kind of starts with you. Uh, be- before um, we all were in on it, and by the way, that would be um, myself on vocals, obviously, because I don't do other stuff. Keith <laughs> Harris of Afterbirth on drums, uh, Tom Anderer on bass, uh, and Rick Habib on guitars, both those guys from Gray Skies Fallen and Buckshot Facelift, and Terrell Granham uh, on, on uh, guitar also of Buckshot Facelift and Thetis, three guitars. So maybe you could talk just a little bit about the inception of that project and and where that music came from for you. Um, Years ago, me and Rick had an idea to do a band together. Because I've known Rick for so long, we've always kind of talked about doing something together. It was always like, yeah, one day we'll do it. But I've been friends with Rick for a long time, and 
we've always kind of like gotten along really well. So I always felt like <laughs> I, can, I can like do something with Rick. He's not like a, he's not a weirdo. He's not a dick. He's like he's on the level, and I totally get him. And we're old school and all that shit. And so we came up with the band who had a different name, and it was like I wrote one song years ago. The first song was was written way before the other two, and. It was just an idea we kind of like tucked back in our a folder on my computer, basically. And then we kind of got talking. And between when I wrote that first song and we had the idea for the band, and then when we started really doing it with everybody else, he jammed with me in this other band I did called Force and Fire for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really work out because we just fizzled out. But I, and I'm actually doing that band again, but. Now that Rick and I are doing this band, like we're focused on this, but we've always had this idea. And once you guys got involved, I just felt like it all just kind of came together out of nowhere when it was like a beautiful thing. Cause Tom lived in Jersey. I live in Jersey. Rick was just like, you know, out there too. And so it just kind of made sense. Like I was looking to do something death metal and it just kind of grew out of nowhere. It was like a weed, like, Hey, let's do that. And then just kind of blossomed into something perfect. Like I'm, I'm so happy with this project because it's like a bunch of dudes who are all really good musicians who all know their shit, don't fuck around, but we all have fun together. So it's a great project. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for it, and I'm really glad that uh, we're, we're almost uh, at the point where we're able to put it out for people, man. And I just yeah, wanted- we've kept it under wraps for so long. It's nice. Yeah, yeah, man, but it's it's good, man, because I feel like um, you know I don't want to talk about it too much on the podcast uh, like that, but uh, you yeah, know we, like, we've we've talk t- about our band, man. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's what I do from time to time. I'm in like yeah. five or six bands. We do one podcast a week. I'm going to spill the beans on something, um, but yeah, it's just great to get it out there. And we took our time, and we're really um, unrolling it out for people very slow and meticulously, so people could check that out. Um, and, uh, you know, Ryan, like I said, to be respectful of your time, we're, di- we're going to wrap it up. We always ask oh. our guests, uh, I don't know if I prepared you for this. You could take a minute if you need to, but we always All ask right. our guests to recommend one older release and one newer release by any artist under the sun that you like, just to recommend some music to us and our listeners. Well, as far as older release, I'll do the old Long Island hardcore thing. All right. And I'll recommend Auto Manipulation by Mind Over Matter. I think... That's one of the best records from that scene that ever came out. And shit, new stuff. Are you going to really fucking stump me on this one? Because I don't <laughs> listen to new music. Um, I'm waiting for that new rat record too, man. Yeah, we're all just waiting for that new rat to come. Yeah, out. I mean, go check out George Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, we. Can- I, I, I'm a person that listens to a lot of old records. Like, I've kind of caught up on bands I never even checked out on, like, so what's something that's new to you that you got into lately that you never heard before? What's something you checked out lately? A lot of death metal, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been checking out certain bands that I just missed missed the boat on, like, growing up, because I went through a big phase where I was into black metal, so yeah. I didn't give a shit about death metal. <laughs> and now I'm kind of, I hate black metal now. Like, I think it's the stupidest shit ever. <laughs> like, seriously, I hate it. I mean, I like my old records, and you know, I like Dark Throne, and I like all that, but like what black metal became is just to me laughable i know people think that sounds like oh you're you're judging the genre of music but i just don't get it anymore how dare you sir did you see lord of the ring uh i mean um lords of chaos <laughs> <laughs> no i didn't i refuse to see that me too all right we're in the same I camp was like, nah. 
We're in the same case. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, all right, what, what are you going to do? Um, I liked it. Uh, it's funny because I heard... Uh, I had a great time. I, I recently, I watched the movie Eastern Promises, and I promise I'm going to wrap this up. Um, but, you know, the, the Russian mob movie from back in the day, Viggo Mortensen. But yeah. somebody described me to once that if you watch that with uh, an actual Russian person, it would, you know, it, it would be like watching a movie about Americans where they're just like cleaning their AKs in their in their F one fifty trucks at McDonald's the whole time. Like it's just, you know, <laughs> super stereotype kind of thing. And um, I just I picture like the Lords of Chaos thing just being like this like Facebook meme version of what metalheads are supposed to be. I don't. Is that fair, Tom? No, I don't think so. I think it's actually a good movie. Yeah, right. I don't think it's. I can't believe that. No, I don't think it's like, uh, because I know the lore, I know the story, I get it. I don't think that the story came across that great with the depth that it needed to, but I think that it was a good movie. I just can't shoot it down as a movie. I agree. If you're able to separate the two, you you can have a good time. That was my thing. I I couldn't even separate it from what I know. And I understand that. Mm -hmm. If you can admit that you're not separating, that's fine. It's not for you then. Ryan and I are more metal than you two guys. Well, yeah. that's fine. We have it in our in our soul, and yeah. we can't even sit in a movie. Th- no, look, I'm I'm busting balls. <laughs> I heard if you watch Ghostbusters with a real ghost, they're gonna be like, it's nothing like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I listen, also know um, that most of that black metal is silly teenager bullshit. So it's like, can I take it with a grain of salt? Oh yeah. I mean, things have changed, and you know, it's never going to be the same to you as it was, uh, you know, when you were younger, and it's it's all fresh to you and everything. Um, but on on that note, um, Ryan, we really appreciate you talking to us. Yeah, uh, this is fun. Uh, and like I said, there's so many of your bands. I mean, you know, we recommend that people go back and check out all that stuff. The Serp- um, uh, the Serpentine Path, uh, two albums uh, that came out on Relapse Records. Um, yeah. Throw them. Uh, the Howling Wind, uh, obviously Unearthly Trance, uh, Force yeah. and Fire you're working with again. And uh, mm-hmm. even if people want to do a history lesson and go check out that old Motive material, um, I mean, there's there's so much stuff out there. Uh, and um, obviously watch for that uh, Reeking Aura. We're going to be uh, putting out material very soon, too. So, uh, yeah. Ryan, is there anything else that you wanted to plug coming up or anything you wanted to say to fans of your projects or listeners of the podcast? No, I mean, I'm not... I'm not much of a plugger, but one thing I wanted to mention, because you mentioned Christian McKnight, and you mentioned Cleanser, and um, my buddy Derek from Neglect and Cleanser was one yeah. of the, the dudes that really got me into, like, proper metal. He, he, he turned me on to Bathory, he turned me on to Trouble, he turned me on all his death metal. He taught me how to play a lot of death metal techniques, so I just want to shout out to Derek, because he's my brother. Yeah, and uh, uh, you were in a, weren't you in a band with Derek, Decimation? A cu- uh, couple of bands, like... He would call me up like Ryan. I need some leads. I'm like, ah, I'll come down to the studio and bang it out for you. Like he was like, he's like my metal brother from the hardcore scene, and he got me into a lot of cool stuff. So yeah, just kind of make sure people know who he is. As a matter of fact, just to just to tie it all in, uh, I was introduced to Derek um, through Sal. Yes, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, it all goes back to Sal on the Heavy Hole podcast. Um, but yeah, we actually we got to get Derek on the podcast eventually. It'd be great to talk oh, to him. Yeah, as well. That would be a trip. Um, He's got some stories. I'm sure, man. Shout out to him. Um, but yeah, Ryan, thank you so much uh, Thanks, for joining bro. us and for your time. And you know, I'll be awesome. in touch uh, behind the scenes and obviously and everything. And I won't be as professional. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, <laughs> I, know we'll, I enjoyed this. We'll get back to the normal banter, man. Will, you're going to see Ryan in like a week. Let yeah. us say goodbye, okay? Yeah. All right, Ryan. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate thank it. you guys. Yeah, awesome. Good. Thanks for coming on. All the best. Cheers. Stay clean. Yeah, babe. Stay safe. I'll see you around, Ryan. Take care, buddy. All right, man. Take care. Later.
right, man. Good talking to my buddy Ryan Lipinski um, about some of his uh, bands and releases, man. We didn't even crack through uh, all of his discography, vast discography, uh, this evening. Um, if you go over that unearthly trance and uh, all of his different projects like he said he likes to spread himself out through a few different projects not just cram every influence into one so i respect that man busy guy yeah a lot to check out my personal favorite of the side projects that are uh, that serpentine path more death doom uh influence band but um shout to ryan and we're going to be bringing you more updates and information as time goes on about uh the band that i'm in with him reeking aura and anything else that he's doing or that i'm doing because um i'm on the podcast i'll talk about my bands justin tom feel free to talk about your bands i don't care we're gonna do it all right yeah it's they're creeping when it happens yeah Yeah. um but until that sweet day when you can talk to me about your band maybe you guys could talk to me about somebody else's band sure can love that so i only have an old one tonight uh tom out of solidarity with you I only have an old one tonight as well. well Justin. Yeah, well, I'm going to be I'm gonna be respectful of our format, and uh, I'm going to bring oh. a new one today. Oh, you know what? There was just so much to listen to <laughs> and research for this Ryan Lipinski interview. This guy, is, he's got so many albums and releases and EPs and demos floating around out there. But I promise to get back on my game with a new one next episode. So with that said, Justin. Cool. How are you doing it? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, well, I'm doing it great. Um greatest has ever been it's never been are you okay a better new recommendation than this. <laughs> so my new recommendation right now uh today on uh 316 stone cold day nice steve weiser drinking it <laughs> uh Condrith, uh out of san diego california their self-released uh brand new demo foul formations okay uh super chunky and we're gonna we're gonna give this a little osdm stamp but uh, this is kind of a, a shining light in this in this murky sea of uh, oversaturated OSDM that's been coming out. Oversaturated death metal? No. OSDM? <laughs> the- oh. <laughs> <laughs> it writes itself sometimes. Come on. I love it. I'm saying it in the way that you took it, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is... Uh, this is who the, the head that, that pokes above water, I feel like. Yes. No, there are lots of great bands yes. within, within a saturation point. That's, there you, that's go. The, you know. Uh, super thick, clear production, uh, very raw. Uh, there is a beautiful technicality uh, that isn't pretentious uh, in a lot of these riffs. Um, and I get, I get very, like, uh, butchered era Cannibal Corpse uh, vibes, vibes from here. Um, now... This is interesting because uh, this is a, a project by the vocalist guitar- and guitarist Wayne Sarantopoulos. And oh boy. you might know Wayne Sarantopoulos, uh, okay. most notably as vocalist for Eternal Suffering. Yes. And yes. Uh, drummer of Father Be Fouled. Yes. Uh, yes. Both bands that you guys have, have brought to the table. We talked uh, about the, talked Hill. about this guy a little bit. All right. Yeah. So um, this is this is his most recent project, and uh, yeah, this this dude another like metallum that runs deep. Like everything this guy this guy's a jack of all trades. He's playing drums, playing guitar, playing bass, doing vocals. You know, all the whole damn thing, and uh, all of it's really good man i'm scared to reach out to him because the research would be amazing dude uh, it would be daunting to, yeah. to listen to all that stuff yeah, but we will reach out to him there's uh there's such quality in all of his projects you know from like i said his solo stuff he's mm-hmm. got two man bands spanning countries uh spanning this country 
Um, like I said, check out his Metallum and, and, and dig into it. Uh, you know, maybe he'll beat us to it. But this new project, Conjureth, man, this is what this is what you want when you, uh, with with a, with a modern OSDM take. And uh, and this dude Wayne, he's legit. So you know, it's coming from a solid place. I like this mix. I like yeah. these riffs. Checks a lot of boxes for me. Yeah, dude. you uh, brought in that reference to eternal suffering because I got a message on our Patreon from I think our second Patreon pledge Andy mm-hmm. he shot me a message and I wasn't going to read it but um, it's just serendipitous that I worked this way with the eternal suffering Serendipitous. <laughs> oh, come on shout sometimes to- it works this way you know yeah, shout, shout to Andy man <laughs> thank you for your pledge yeah that joke was for you Loved the latest episode, and especially loved hearing the love for Eternal Suffering, one of my favorite bands that I feel deserves so much praise. Just wanted to recommend Torn Asunder from Hartford, Connecticut, so that's what I'm going to do tonight. Sweet. Uh, I'm bringing this, Torn Asunder. Okay. In Painful Remembrance. This is on Lifeless Records, 1998. Andy, thank you so much for shooting this my way. It's been a pleasure listening to this. Really enjoying it. So from Hartford, Connecticut... We got this five piece here. Gotta give a nice work thumbs up to Tritricon Recording Studio and Monkey House, a mastering studio in Massachusetts for making this EP sound so juicy. Solid sounding mix, extremely filled out. For 98, this is a really great sounding EP. The, the quality, the attention to detail to the mix is just perfect. It sits in the pocket. The songwriting is great. There's early deathcore elements in here without it getting into the that whole genre breakdown, but there are some cool, groovy breakdowns in here. It's nice because the riffs do flow together seamlessly, but it's not boring or predictable. And unfortunately, this band only released one other thing, which was a full length in 2007, and then disbanded. Uh, real shame, because Torn Asunder, good releases all around. I, I could definitely hear... Um the comparison to Eternal Suffering mm-hmm. uh, stylistically with the kind of slammy death metal thing. This, this is cool, man. Everyone listening to this podcast, go listen to this after. Or one <laughs> of the other recommendations coming. Or one of Ryan's many bands. You know how it is. <laughs> homework to do. The only podcast with homework. Yeah. 
All right, so I'm talking about Sinister, a uh, death metal band from the Netherlands. Uh, in particular, I'm going to talk about their Diabolical Summoning album, which came out on Nuclear Blast uh, in November of 1993. This is uh, one of your old-school European death metal bands that um, has more of like an Americanized sound, I want to say, for the time, maybe more in line with Cannibal Corpse and Suffocation, what those guys were doing. Uh, and maybe uh, hypocrisy to name a European band, but way more of that kind of like what was then considered Americanized brutal death metal um, than like your more melodic style or atmospheric style metal that was coming out of Europe. Um, Sinister, man, such a good band. So many good albums, hard to pick one. Uh, you know, they had uh, Bastard Saints, Hate, Cross the Sticks, and this Diabolical Summoning um, is one of considered one, like one of their old school classic albums. Um, and it's really, uh, it's, it's good musical, brutal death metal. This is something like maybe a good reference point for like, uh, younger people, people that are into newer death metal that are into defeated sanity, um, wormed maybe into some of the more, uh, musical tech and technical type of death core bands. Um, if you go back and check out Sinister, there's a lot there because they are masters of, of brutality, of, of low-end, guttural, brutal, angry vocals and pounding drums and um, uh, brutal riffs. But there's something musical about them without being overly flashy and technical. Uh, this is just kind of like a death metal musician's death metal band. And I don't think Diabolical Summoning is the worst place to start. Um, but uh, they, they have a lengthy discography. Uh, going right up until today, I believe they actually have a new album that's supposed to come out. Um, this is it May. Yeah, they, whatever it is, they're supposed to have a new album coming out in May, and they just um, they put out the Syncreticism uh, full length in 2017. They've already put out a split and an EP since then, but that Syncreticism EP uh, full length from 2017, one of the most amazing records that came out that that year. Uh, I've told many people and played many people that's, that Sinister album that came out in 2017. They slept on it. Because this is a band that's put out, I mean, geez, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. They put out a dozen. Uh, now they're, they're, they're on their, like, their 13th full length this year. So there's a lot of music to weed through with Sinister. But I really recommend this band's entire discography. Um, you, you might like some stuff more than others. Uh, but... The great place to start is this Diabolical Summoning album from 93, one of the years uh, that death metal really broke. Uh, and there's, of course, there's a cool video. You can go back and check it on YouTube. There's uploads of the vid video for the song Leviathan. Um, kind of, you know, low budget, uh, you know, regular uh, 90s death metal video, but fun to watch. And like I said, this is just... Uh, I don't want to talk about it too much or talk it to death because this is just one of your more musical, brutal death metal bands from the early 90s. Um, that deserves a lot more credit and respect from what they did, especially in this day and age when people are revisiting all these old school bands. So please don't leave out Sinister from the Netherlands. Uh, and something I thought was actually pretty um, interesting, they've had quite a few lineup changes over the years with um, the one Ride or Die member being, uh, his name is, I, I guess, a Ad, A-A-D, Kloosterward, uh, who was the drummer of the band from 1988 to 2003, and has since taken over vocal duties from 2005 till today. Um, so in it. Yeah, uh, and he's with some younger guys today making up the lineup. But I always thought that was interesting that this guy was the drummer from 88 to 2003 and then just switched to vocals and he's having a good time. 
Kind of like in retirement. Like, I'm just singing now. You know what I mean? I don't have to do those blast beats. You got a younger guy to do it. Um, but really cool band. I'm recommending Diabolical Summoning just as a reference point. Um, but really get into the discography. Keep an eye out for the new album. And um, don't ever forget that I put you onto it and I own that physical format cassette copy, tough guy. That one Flex. looks like it's in good shape. Yeah, Flex. Oh, it is. It's Look at that. Look, you got the little orange print on there. Nuclear Blast logo. That Nuclear Blast America writing on the tape, man. If you see that, that just like... It's classic I, I start 90s. I start salivating when I see that on cassette <laughs> tape. Um, but yeah, man. So not to... Um, not to beat it to death, man, but getting to sinister, man. Especially maybe if you're uh, you're on that like hypocrisy wave, that old hypocrisy wave, and you want to know more about old school European bands that tapped into that American suffocation style brutality. All right. So, boys, you my friends, I'm I'm here to confess that I have been fucking up. <laughs> and and you you might say, Justin, what what did you fuck up this time? Well, uh, I am just now getting into Razor. Don't worry, I won't tell your girlfriend. <laughs> she won't even care. Because <laughs> I was like, so I'm getting into Razor now. This is like one of the sickest bands. Can't believe I missed this my entire fucking childhood. And she's yeah. like, uh, yeah, the dishes though. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Leave him alone. He finished the bathroom. Like, uh, yeah, I finished the bathroom. Let's just watch the West Wing go to sleep. Okay, so... You watch the West Wing? All right, all right, yeah, go, ahead, go ahead. Fucking get back into it. Listen, right. this is all, this is all, all right, reconnecting. All right. I don't want to get political. Go ahead. Razors, 1998, 1998, 1988 release, Violent Restitution mm-hmm. on Steam Hammer Records. Mm. Uh, now, Razor, if you don't know, like I didn't before, but now I'm here to tell you, uh, legendary Canadian thrash metal band, um, definitely overshadowed by their contemporaries uh, of the time, but uh, does not make them any less powerful, any less important. Uh, and 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 here you go. If this is your first time, uh, welcome. If you know this already, then forgive my horrible take on this record. I'm starting to feel like we got to do a whole episode about Canadian bands that got overshadowed. By uh, more commercial entities from the United States. By the stars and bars. Yeah, we should. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of under, uh, undersung, unsung Canadian artists that deserve the recognition in all seriousness. Fuck yeah. Proceed. So, so yeah, uh, my little, my you know, my take on this record, uh, it's their fifth full length, um, and they're last with the original vocalist, Sheepdog McLaren. Oh. Um, now... You know, in, in my brief dive into into Razor, uh, this I, I picked this one as my favorite. You know, it has the trademark uh, Razor rawness and, and speed, uh, but I feel with uh, Violent Restitution, they um, they were noticeably flirting with uh, with with other types of metal music, and, and I'd say like most notably like death metal, and and kind of creeping in uh, some death metal riffs uh, with this punishing thrash. Um, 
they uh, they use these like halftime and mid tempo uh, dips in, in the songwriting that showcase uh, a death style of like guitar playing in the sense you know just like these these re- like death style runs you know uh, like scale runs a little if more you will. progressive kind of yeah yeah like really pushing like pushing thrash metal to I guess what sli- like past Slayer what they were doing as far as like death metal. Mm. Um, there's there's really fun crossover uh, parts, you know, you know, little kind of breakdown type things, and I, I would say like, you know, this is this is obvious uh, uh, new wave of British heavy metal influenced, um, you know, uh, being country mates, I guess, with Voivod, like the, the the comparison is there too. The Slayer comparison is is, is hard to ignore. Um, but I'd say, like, you know, if, if you're like me and you're just kind of getting into this now and, and you've had new music kind of, uh, or you've been into, like, the, the more uh, modern things that have been going on, like, if you like Power Trip and you don't know Razor, you're fucking up kind of like I did. Definitely sounds like something for fans of earlier Pestilence and Death. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I gotta, in all honesty, I gotta go back and revisit this, too. I'm I'm ignorant. Le- you know, last thing I'm gonna say is is uh, is Dave Carlo, the guitar player. Like his work is like a masterclass of thrash thrash riffage. Mm-hmm. Um, the production is so raw, so that all that technique really pours through, and it's fucking fast, down picking. Uh, and and while Razor might not be most known for their creativity, it's the energy that like that that pushes them forward. Um, not to say that there isn't some really creative parts uh, in these songs. So, uh, yeah, Razor, Violent Restitution, man. The, the more of the darker side of thrash of the Razor releases up until this point, bring it to the table. My boys. I like this awesome. a lot. Yeah. Really cool um, early death. Like I said, that early death metal, that gray area between thrash and death metal uh, kind of vibe going on, you know? Yep. So thanks again to Ryan Lipinski from Unearthly Trance uh, and all of his pro- uh, projects and bands for calling in and um, talking to us tonight about his discography and his career experiences. Um, that story about uh, Japan, the earthquake, that was pretty wild. Crazy. Yeah. Um, ma- imagine you're in an emergency situation and Buzz from the Melvins is taking charge. <laughs> That's wild. Uh, shout out to him for getting him out of there. He did it, you know. Um, uh, you guys brought some cool uh, music to my attention. and I hope that I was able to enlighten some people with Sinister. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not recommend a new album tonight. I'm going to get on that, uh, get back on the ball. Going to get right back on the train. Another um, shout out to Andy though for that torn asunder. Have yes, not, yep. yes. Cannot stress that enough. The Patreons, when you send us stuff, we do pay a little more attention to that. Uh, yes, not, not because we're not trying to pay attention to any one person, but it's a lot. We're busy greasing the wheels, yeah. as they put it, yeah, in, in, the, in, in, in the business yeah. community. Whoa. 
uh, allegedly. <laughs> um, as we said, uh, you know, we're going to continue to try to bring you the best possible content we can uh, and do what we always do here on the Heavy Hole Podcast. Uh, you know, you have plenty of outlets, like we said before, to get uh, your news and stay informed. We want to try to continue to pro- provide you with that um, that escape uh, and that metal culture uh, and that trip down the metal wormhole that we always do here on the Heavy Hole Podcast. And I thank both you gentlemen for helping me do that. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks, bud. Thanks. So, and thanks, of course, to all you listeners out there uh, supporting us, uh, helping us out, giving us your feedback. And if you want to continue to do all those three things, you can do them. All you got to do is go to heavyholepodcast.com. All the links are there for the social media. So easy. The link is there for the Patreon. The link is there for the well, the, the phone will number. Be. It will be. The, the phone. Yeah. yeah, it will be. Just <laughs> keep be, checking back. The phone number is there. You can call us up and leave a voicemail, uh, and you can buy a sticker pack. You can support us financially with that. Uh, so check out heavyholepodcast.com. That's and, right. Um, you know, you can get hooked up with all the social media accounts and everything else through there. Use that promo code allegedly. Get yourself ten percent off that sticker pack. Why wouldn't you? Get some stickers. Get a discount on them. Cheap. Why? Legend, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you. Heavy Hole Podcast 1. Goodbye. Wash your hands. <laughs>